I V M. Hello, welcome and khushamadeed. You're listening and watching to the note with me, Maharu Khanayat. In the midst of what is clearly a terrifying state of affairs in the country, the second COVID wave has hit and hit badly. In the midst of it, we find a lot of people who have kept aside whatever they do and become for the rest of us Samaritans, warriors. And with me on this uh, episode of The Note is a very, very special guest. Tehseen Poonawala, when I was anchoring at India Today, was somebody that I often fought with in our debates. <laughs> but over the past one month, the kind of work that I have seen him do at every possible hour has greatly inspired me. Tehseen, thank you so much for taking time out to being uh, on the note. Thank you, Maruk. And we didn't really fight. We agreed to disagree on some issues. And I think that's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, okay. if you agree to disagree, you're called anti-national. Just for the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think not too many people will call you anti-national. They're seen for what you've been doing. Honestly, uh, really inspired by your work. I want to start out by asking you, how did it start? I mean, you're an entrepreneur. You're a TV personality. You also dabble in politics. You're an analyst. But when did you decide that, you know what, I'm going to go out there and help as many people as I can? Um, in the first phase, we started off with helping sex workers majorly mm-hmm. because the lockdown happened within four hours. Right. And before that, we'd worked with the sex workers about two years ago during demonetization. And mm-hmm. because that had really affected the sex workers because most of them didn't have bank accounts and didn't have money and there's no money to pay for anything. So we started last lockdown with the sex workers and they, they weren't even aware much about COVID because we all were grappling with what COVID-19 was. Um, so during last year, it was that and food and the migrants that you were busy with. Hmm. But this year has been unprecedented. Um, it is one thing that fellow humans die because of COVID. It's not acceptable, but yes, it's one thing. But for, to see lives being lost because of lack of oxygen is unacceptable. And I think that's what... Um, got me so involved and Monica so involved. And we just thought that we have to do anything and everything we can to save people. I think that was the idea. So tell me something. I mean, I've, I've, I've been reading about what you're doing. I see what you're actively doing. What is the process like? What's your typical day like these days? What really are you involved in? And how many people are calling you? Um, in a day, about 1,000 calls to 1,500 calls. Um, hmm. This includes uh, WhatsApp calls and uh, Twitter requests. Uh, Twitter has gone down a bit because it's moved from the metros to the interiors of India. But mm-hmm. WhatsApp has gone up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, even now I got a little late joining the show because I was on WhatsApp trying to arrange things. Mm. The, the main request now is in, in Delhi and um, in North India for ventilator beds, mm-hmm. for uh, liposomal and um, for uh, ECMO. In rural India, it's still the, the testing is not happening. The admissions in hospitals are not happening. They have absolutely no infrastructure. It's simply the the numbers are not true. It's quite scary in rural India. You know, the numbers have gone down as per whatever the health ministry is telling us. The deaths are still high up. And obviously, I mean, there is more than enough uh, reason for us to believe that there is huge undercounting of mortality, fatalities as far as... What is your experience on the ground? Have you uh, got a sense of, you know, the fact that the numbers are all over the place? Absolutely. The numbers being put out are not authentic. And India owes it to the world and to its citizens to be true with numbers. Let's go by what the health ministry is saying. Assuming what they're saying is right, 
that is even more scary a situation because while absolute numbers of cases may have gone down, the deaths remain the same, which means the fatality is a lot more, which means we should be more scared of it. So this is nothing but headline management. I've been saying this time and again, if the numbers were as less as the health ministry saying, why is there waiting at the crematorium? Surely crematoriums won't be overpacked and have waiting for 4,000 people dying extra per day. I think what this government forgets is India's signatory to the WHO. We have on record given certain amount of deaths that happen every day and over a period of a year. Those deaths plus the COVID deaths do not add up to the death certificates being given to citizens. And please do note, death certificates are given more in urban areas, much lesser in rural areas. Even those don't add up. So certainly something is not right and the match doesn't add up. You've also been talking about and raising, uh, you know, uh, your voice uh, for the possibility of a third wave. What is your sense? What made you write that letter? Because we're 300 to 350 days away from herd immunity. This is not what I'm saying. This is what all the experts are saying. Until we're not going to be vaccinated completely, a certain amount of population with two vaccinations, we are, not, we are away from herd immunity. If that's mm. going to happen, how do we protect our vulnerable people? We've seen in the second wave how many youngsters have got affected simply because they were not vaccinated. Today, even as of now, vaccines are not available everywhere for people between 18 to 45, the category they've opened up for. What happens to those below 18? We've 165 million children below 12. And now, at least on social media, you're seeing a lot of cases of youngsters, kids being hospitalized, pregnant women. I'll just give you how unscientific the whole situation was. Mm -hmm. So they decided at first it would only be for about um, 45, the vaccination, 65, then 45. When they, under pressure, opened it up for 18 to 45, they never considered pregnant women. So while gynecologists say pregnant women or women who are about to conceive can get the vaccine, the government mm -hmm. guidelines didn't allow it, creating confusion. So many cases of pregnant women are on social media. It has just been absolutely unscientific in its approach to fighting the wave. Rather than catching up now, if you can plan for the third wave, talk to experts, I think that is what will help us. So the Supreme Court has instituted a committee, and I saw a lot of people saying that you and Srinivas and several others who are actively working on the ground should have been part of that committee. Is the government taking any feedback from you, given the kind of work that you and several others are doing? Is there any mechanism where they're getting some learnings from what you have learned on the ground, actively working for people? Uh, some state governments, yes. Mm. Um, the state governments, of course, they've been cooperative. When we call up or we call up the bureaucrats, they do whatever best they can to help the situation. Unfortunately, not so much in the central government. We've seen situations where the central government, um, members of parliament themselves have been tweeting for help. So you, mm -hmm. you kind of wonder what uh, world are they living in? And I think they're more busy in trying to prove that people are wrong, everything is hunky-dory and protect an image rather than addressing the situation in reality. But there is a larger problem that exists. The problem is not just what the Honorable Supreme Court did or what the central government is doing. Do you know, Maruk, the Center for Disease Control is in Pune. The NIV, the National Institute of Virology, is in Pune. These are the people who should be dealing with the disease, not those people who are research people. These are the experts who can deal with it. Mm. The Prime Minister is not consulting them. He's consulting research experts. That is why the Niti Aayog last year said, and they have to apologize that by 24th May 2020, there won't be a single new case of COVID. So, I mean, we need to be scientific. So do you see this as a really long, drawn-out battle? Yes, one that unfortunately will not just 
take a toll on us physically and emotionally as a society, but will also take a toll on us financially as an economy. The economy was already in doldrums. But let me talk about the emotional trauma people are going through. Families are breaking up. Uh, people are being humiliated to get an injection. People have to beg for an injection. People have to beg for for um, for a bed. People have to beg for oxygen. Oxygen, they're charging GST on it. I've seen people that you and I know, they've called me up, Maruk, and said, can you give us a cylinder of oxygen to be refilled? And people we knew were standing in lines for 20 hours to get a cylinder of oxygen refilled. How fair is that in India? That's not right. It's not correct, Maruk. How can a country treat its own citizens this way? It, it just feels extremely bad that, that a government allowed its citizens to suffer so much. And people we knew, people we don't know, standing 20 hours, that that lady or that husband or that son may survive. Old ladies sitting to refill an oxygen cylinder on which the government was charging GST. It's not fair. It's not fair on us as citizens. You know, I, I can understand the kind of emotional toll it would have taken on you. Uh, take a minute there. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I just can imagine, uh, you know, given the scenario, what it must do and the helplessness of it all. But um, in all of this, you know, the one hope that I see is in people like you, and there almost seems to be like a human chain of warriors like you who've been collaborating without perhaps not even knowing each other. But there's something, the humanity of it all, the human cause of it has making people like you uh, you know, go out there on a daily basis. My my thing is that one is being affected by and infected by COVID, but the other is not being able to work with the lockdown. And the calamity of that, the fact that people don't have enough money to buy food, and you seem to be working on that front as well. Is that also as big a humanitarian crisis as the infection itself? It is. It's a massive humanitarian crisis. Because family members, particularly from rural India who come to cities to get treated, uh, cannot go inside COVID hospitals, rightly so. They have no resources in the city. They have left everything behind. Um, and also, you can't blame the doctors. How can a doctor give every patient, thousands of patients, an update for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, right? You have to save lives there. They don't have an update. Most of them don't have phones inside. They don't know if the patient inside is alive or not alive. And they're standing out there in the sun, in the rain. I just want to ask one question. Why can't DMs, the DMs call up the patients, you know who's in the hospital, their relatives, and say, you want food? Why can't the government give food? How difficult is it that DM knows, the SDM knows which hospital, what is there? Why can't you just make that one phone call and say, okay, you're in the hospital, you've been admitted, you've taken the Yadha details, the relatives are outside. Give them what they want. Give them shelter. On those footpaths, make temporary arrangements. Why can't we do that? We aspire to, to compete with the United States of America, and we should. It's a great aspiration. We are worse than Somalia, the way we've treated our citizens. Worse than African countries. These are our people. Why can't the government, the Honorable Prime Minister yesterday, or he's meeting all the DMs, why can't he instruct the DMs this? It's a simple thing to do. Anyone who's admitted for COVID has to give his Aadhaar details or her Aadhaar details. You will contact their relatives and ask them if they need something. Why does individuals have to do it? It's a government job. You know, this is happening in cities right now, and we are aware of it. You mentioned earlier that the rural reality is going to be far worse. Are you actively working towards perhaps being able to help in that context as well? Yes, and there are double challenges there. The rural situation is absolutely um, even more broken down in the cities. Cities get highlighted because of electronic media, social media, and ultimately, 
citizens in cities do know their rights. In rural India, uh, you may not get admission inside a hospital, inside an emergency ward, though it's your absolute right. Numerous Supreme Court judgments that you cannot be denied. What are you going to do? Because there's a constable, they will throw you out, or there's a district official there who thinks he owns the city or she owns the city. There's a challenge of accessibility to healthcare. Our doctors are trying their best, but that is one part, accessibility. Second is, there is no infrastructure in rural India to help people, medicines being available. We've seen in Delhi, in other places, how people are struggling to get liposomal or other, earlier on it was toastly zumab, or even an ECMO machine. What do you do in rural India? And therefore, you're seeing bodies lying near rivers, bodies being eaten up by animals. You don't even get a death certificate. There was no dignity in life. There's no dignity in death. That is unfortunate in rural India. You know, Tessin, uh, we are right now, you know, uh, Mumbai, for instance, is showing some positive results. Yeah. The positivity rate in that sense has really gone down. We're also hearing some heartening stories from other parts. But you seem to sense that, you know, we're about some days away from a third wave. Are we equipped, at least in some states, from where you have worked, to be able to handle that? Are we doing some kind of damage control right now and also some forward planning? Do you see that happening? Or is it going to be left to people like you to help people again when the third wave comes? I hope that doesn't happen, that it's left to us. Uh, Maharashtra is a positive story. It is planning for the third wave. They've been extremely transparent with their numbers, with their testing, with the criticism that they got and the way they handled it and now the praises that they're getting. So they're building these facilities. They are, they're procuring things globally. But there are challenges. Challenges, for example, I was speaking to a health minister of a state who wanted help to get liposomal. Customs doesn't clear it for days together. I said it on television last night. The PPE kits that are coming, just think of states like Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh. They're poor states in the interiors. You need PPE kits. You're, you're, you're charging a GST on that. If somebody, if Maruk, some relative of yours or mine said something from abroad as, as to help the country, the, the government is charging a GST on it. I mean, just think about where we are headed as a, and it takes days to clear because it's the bureaucratic hurdle at the airports. That's one part that they need help in. The second part is, I think, what the world needs help in and India needs to actively put forth before the world is this new variant of the virus, how it's mutated and how it's behaving. That needs to go to the world. We have a porous border with Nepal via Uttarakhand and Uttar Pradesh and Bihar. What are we going to, I mean, we need to be very careful on what we are doing we need to safeguard people, other people, and be transparent with the world. Let us understand why this is happening. Let us understand why now these new cases are happening of black fungus. What is the reason for it? That has to go before the world. You know, finally, Tessin, you spoke about the mistakes that the government has made, the government of the day at the center. And there is enough evidence to point at that. One of the things I was speaking to one of India's leading intellectuals last week, and he said what is missing is compassion and empathy. If anybody from the government, including the prime minister, is listening to you, what would you say to them at this point? Sir, be empathetic. Have empathy, sir. It is not, we, we patted our back in November, December, January. We said we defeated COVID. Uh, we, those who kept saying on television, there will be a second wave, we kept calling them all sorts of names. Even now, the government is more interested in hounding people, how they are helping citizens rather than helping our own citizens. Um, we can do anything. We can do this. Our entire life for politics. But these are our people dying. And they're dying because of hunger. They're dying because of lack of oxygen. They're dying because of lack of facilities. It's not fair. It's not fair to anybody. So I think we should have empathy for them. 
I think we need to do a lot more as a society, as a country, as a government to reach out to them. We need to be scientific in our approach. We need to stop patting ourselves on the back for everything. And that's the only way forward. For months together, you made citizens run for Toastri Zumab. Now you're saying Toastri Zumab is not required. Why did you make people run for it? I mean, why couldn't this have been done before? Now people are running for liposomal because black fungus is the result of all the complications that you put all the steroids in your body that's developed. Why couldn't you have controlled it? Why isn't this being dealt scientifically with? Why aren't you putting that? Now you're putting up some new sachet called 2DG, which is not available. So why are you being unscientific about it? Tessin, um, once again, I want to tell viewers uh, that Tessin has been relentlessly following and trying to help as many people. I've been witness to it. I have seen him help innumerable people. Honestly, saluting your efforts, Tessie, Monica, and the rest of your team who's been working, you know, uh, day and night to make this a possibility. Thank you so much for being thank on you. the note. I won't take thank too you. much more of your time. Thanks. But thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at the rate IVM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm Mahro Khinayat on Twitter and Mahro Khinayat on Instagram as well.